0: With the alleged assassination of al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri by U.S. forces and the shooting of former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in the past few weeks, conspiracy theories abound as to the motives behind potential realignment in global politics in the media news cycle. Also in the news is economist Jeffrey Sachs making a reappearance, apparently lending support to the theory that COVID-19 may have been a U.S. bioweapon. With Zero Hedge coming out saying that the US has no confirmation of Al Zawahiri's death, however, and the clouds of economic recession on the horizon, we gather tonight to discuss what all this may portend for the future of the global order. Well, I'm not a crook. I've burned everything I've got.
1: Military industrial complex.
2: We are here to destroy the
1: control over the industry of other people. I did not trade arms for hostage. It's has The only reason the Meet the father, the twin
2: hello welcome to the myth of the summer after dark 2022 baby uh we're still here and adam had a few words he wanted to share yeah adam what did you got
0: it is it is still not dark where i am but it will be hopefully by the time we finish up because it's summer hours and the daylight keeps going Uh, I just wanted to, uh, again, say to everybody who's still tuning into this uh, little show of ours, uh, thanks. Uh, We're all really busy, um, especially where I live, and the daylight is uh, long. I have to be outside a lot, so I've just been really, really busy, and I'm sure everybody else has been as well. But we finally found some time, and I was going through the archives. I have not answered a whole lot of emails, but I will be doing that uh, soon. Um, sorry to everybody who's been wondering what the heck, uh, but I basically do all my, uh, podcast stuff when we publish the show. So I will be catching up hopefully soon. And, uh, I was doing some reading also in prep for the show cause we're doing kind of a current events thing. And I tuned into, um, one of our actual uh, guests from last year, band dot home dot blog, uh, to see what's uh, going on over there. And, uh, Nick, you will, may be happy to know he did a nice little write-up on the show that you led back, believe it or not, in 2019. Um, and I jokingly commented on the on the article. Uh, I guess we've been a little lax in publishing lately. So he's having to dig through the past three years of stuff, but that was on the Abu Ghraib scandal. So he did a little article on that and I'll put a link to it. It was pretty good. Uh, so shout out to him and his very good website.
1: What,
2: what was the show from twenty? What the show? Mind control
0: in the opera talking twenty nineteen.
2: Oh man, yeah, that's actually kind of relevant to what I wanted to start today with. Well, uh, good segue. Actually, very relevant uh, because yeah, there you go. So uh, recently, it was announced by uh, I guess I guess the president of. Uh, the america himself that uh, a cia uh, drone strike assassinated allegedly uh iman al zawahiri in kabul a few days ago and i i this when i when i read that i i my mind flashed back through the past decade and quite a bit longer than that i mean it That is an interest. So first of all, what we know about that is very little, because all you have is the statements that are being claimed by the, you know, American media and its various allies in the English speaking press, AP, etc. We don't really know if that's true, just like we don't know if it was true that Osama bin Laden was assassinated by us navy seals and what was that 2013 in, in pakistan
0: something uh, like that, that was 2011. I, I think it was 2011 it was right course, before the yeah. election yeah. and yeah. It it was his body 20, was conveniently dumped yeah. in the ocean with yeah, no footage outright, of course it was. and then the team All the guys allegedly there killed, there, the got guy killed, guy killed by the way yeah yeah anyway <laughs> three of us are talking right
2: Sorry. well and then the, that was the same one that Oh, yeah if i remember right that that was the uh the worst like helicopter crash in uh, u.s navy seals history that happened not too long after that
3: yeah i think like the majority of, uh, duck went down? majority of the team got whacked in like very strange circumstances which also became a hollywood movie that was mostly lies the uh mark Wahlberg uh oh, sniper God. or uh mark Wahlberg uh lone survivor movie um I mean, yeah, ev- evidently I was, there this were... a different event. Yeah, ev- well, evidently there were accounts of like... Uh, I know there are well, different. Wasn't events, it Zero what Dark Thirty?
0: Wasn't it the Catherine... No, 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 no. One?
3: Oh, my God. So, okay. So the event where what Nick is saying, what I said... Oh, right the crash after afterwards. asama okay. died, or allegedly. The team, majority of the team that got him, allegedly, died in Afghanistan in some crash that involved uh, trying to rescue this guy... And they made a whole movie about it, which was also like propaganda and there was uh conflicting accounts of what actually happened, namely that um he wasn't like some sort of uh, you know, like Brambo guy was running around. He was actually kind of like hiding or I don't know, but there there was conflicting accounts from like the translators and the Afghans on the ground, the whole thing was was fishy. So there's there's a lot of fishiness around these assassinations, uh, oftentimes. And it's, it's stark, like the, how Jesus Christ, it's, it's been 11 years since the death of someone bin Laden. We're still fighting this organization. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's cartoonish and it's literally like a cartoon show it, with never ending seasons. I don't even know how else to think about it.
2: Well, it's get, get more cartoonish than that. I mean, the American government has never really been fighting the organization. It's their organization. It right. uh, Zawahiri is. So, if I point you to the w- Wikipedia page on I'm in Al Zawahiri, as far as bad Wikipedia pages go, this <laughs> one is. Uh, <laughs> it. So for you have this guy who's a supposed international terrorist. And you have a pretty long table of contents but the meat of the article is actually very thin and the timeline is very incoherent there's a lot of big gaps i mean the whole thing glows uh, you know like a fucking 1967 Chevy Malibu you know it's so if you're familiar with uh, the work at all of the former fbi translator Sebel Edmonds Uh, Zawahiri, according to her accounts, what this guy was, was essentially, or I mean, when she was writing about him, he was still alive. I remember reading her back in in 2012 or or so on the subject, uh, because it was always, it was sort of even amongst the mainstream press, it was acknowledged that Zawahiri was like the real Al-Qaeda, you know, uh, that Bin Laden was really the, you know, wealthy money man and sort of public face. His background uh, is very interesting. He was in and out of prison in all kinds of different countries. Uh, he was involved in the assassination of Anwar Sadat and was tortured, which was my segu. Uh He was released, though, and... I think rather than leave it up to speculation, I'll just tell you what I think is going on here. Uh, and I base a lot of what I have to say off of what Sebel Edmonds said and wrote about, uh, and according to her, what files she had seen at the FBI. And whether or not you want to cast dispersions on Sebel Edmonds, that's fine. Uh, I know that maybe there's some speculation as to what her connections are to the Turkish state. Uh, obviously, that wasn't a big concern to the American state when they hired her as a uh, with classified clearance. Um, but she was, uh, to her credit, she was, I believe, still has the credit of being the most gagged woman uh, in American history, as far as what the scope of what she's not allowed to talk about under penalty of prison. But uh, apparently some of this wasn't under that. And what she says is that basically we've talked a little bit on the program about Operation Gladio. But uh, the hypothesis from Sibel was that Zawahiri and Al-Qaeda were what was a pivot that was being done into uh, central Asia for gladio operations following the collapse of the USSR. Uh, No longer the Cold War polarities, sort of Marxist-Leninism, fascism, and capitalism. Um, Some speculation, too, was given as to what various Marxist-Leninist organizations might have had. I mean, this was the Cold War by proxy uh, in Europe, Especially in Italy and in Germany, in East Germany. But the pivot to Gladio Plan B would have been to uh, Central Asia, the Caucasus, uh, the Near East, as well as, uh, in later case, to uh, Xinjiang in China. So what she says about his locations it fills in the gap as to where he was between, you know, the assassination of uh, Sadat. And nine eleven, which is what is blamed on him, or at least on his organ, the organization he represents, Al Qaeda. Which, I guess, when you really understand what Al Qaeda probably is, then it it's not really unreasonable to say that they're involved in because they probably were to some extent. Uh, but he was in Turkey, especially in Turkey, which, by the way, is if you do like a control F on the Wikipedia uh, page for uh, Zawahiri, uh, you'll find a total of uh, zero mentions of Turkey, <laughs> which uh, is pretty interesting, as well as Bulgaria uh, and Azerbaijan and Chechnya. Uh, as, and Switzerland is the one that's sort of, Switzerland does get mentioned. It's a big case of like citation needed. And I've read that elsewhere, but the guy was traveling all over and he had at one point been arrested in Russia in 96 or 97, I think it was. And he was held for six months in Russian prison and had several passports and this laptop and the narrative You see a brief mention of it in this scattered article, but uh, the heading for the Russia incident is that uh, the alleged... Let's see, where is it here? Oh, Oh, yes. Alleged activities in Russia. uh, You know, and you get a lot of citations from, like, the usual suspects. And there's also, they mention on this page, the FSB... Uh, trader Alexander uh, Litvinenko, who was a uh, ally of Berezovsky that was assassinated in I think 2006 in London. Polonium poison. Alleged that he was get. Yeah, uh, he he was given some kind of FSB training to I guess do 9/11 or something. And if we look here on the Wikipedia, it says that this is also confirmed by a former KGB officer speaker on the Voice of America CIA network, uh, Konstantin uh, Bervesky, uh something like this. I butchered the name. But point is, is that that's a convenient narrative, because the problem is they can't really explain this. Like, why, why did the Russians arrest this guy in 96 or 97 or whatever it was? Uh, this is also things were pretty hot and heavy with respect to Chechnya, and this fits in very well with the Gladio thesis regarding putting pressure on Russia uh, and the former Soviet bloc through Islamic radicalism. This is something that I mean, is most well known in the context of the Mujahideen, which went on, of course, to become the Taliban. Uh, so these are politics that go back a long ways. And this is a guy who has a very storied history. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention. Yes. So they cl- they uh, the explanation for this is that they couldn't find a translator for this laptop. So they, like, didn't know who this guy was. They're like, ah, you know, just can't. We don't have a translator. Nobody speaks Arabic in, in Russia. And, uh, yeah, just let him go. Uh, the speculation would be what they were doing is some kind of, you know, some kind of spy game where, like, obviously the the NATO powers, uh, the Zionist Mossad, the Turks, the CIA, the Saudis, whatever, like, they would have noticed this and wouldn't exactly have known what the Russians had. Um, and who knows? I mean, the Russians probably just me speculating here. I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious the Russians probably have a pretty extensive file on the bombings of uh, September 11th. But anyways, this guy has a long history, is some kind of asset. Uh, many things get blamed on him. And I think also from what I can tell, his activities in the Arab world, or rather in the Muslim world, more appropriately, are very suspicious. Because he seems to be, the the, the line that he pushed was one of unabashed uh, sectarian Wahhabist radicalism, where he was very anti-Iranian, claiming that, uh, it says here on, for example, the Wikipedia page, that the Persians are the enemies of the Arabs, and that uh, Iran is a collaborator with Zog essentially. Uh, and similarly, he's endorsed the, the Uyghurs, you know, Uyghur jihadism uh, in Xinjiang, and also called for uh, an alliance between the various uh, former al-Qaeda offshoots with al-Nusra in Syria. Uh, he, he's very clearly a ba- i don't know, like, so I don't know how popular he is. Like, if the boys are getting together, smoking hookah on the weekends, like, looking for content posts, if, like, people want to tune into Zawahiri, because apparently uh, when, the, when Kabul fell, he had no comment about this. And he was allegedly found in Kabul and then um, assassinated with a hellfire missile. Point is, like, we don't we don't know. I mean, I don't speak Arabic. I don't speak Turkish. Uh, It's not easy to figure out any of what's going on here, and you certainly can't be expected to. Get a st- any kind of information from the, the Zionist American media. So it's just interesting because it's you're just looking at the tip of an iceberg, and this is an iceberg that goes back a long ways, back to the Cold War, and it's very germane to the kinds of subjects that we've covered here on this program, um, and it's something that
3: we're not really going to get the story on. To uh, well, I, first I would uh, I would say I. I... I'm shocked that he was allegedly found in Kabul. Most of these characters. Same, same. Same. Yeah, yeah, most of these guys historically have stayed out of uh, core Pashto territory. And they've stayed, particularly out of Kabul, given the attention. Uh, They've normally favored northern regions. From what i can tell they've favored waziristan they've favored the regions bordering pakistan the tribal areas um for him to be in kabul would raise a lot of questions number one um you know uh, potentially was he there the whole time and at the was this a bargaining chip with the taliban we'll probably know in a couple months if uh if there's pressure taken off the Taliban. Right now I know that there's, uh, there's pressure being applied by the United States and a couple of other governments trying to prevent aid or something like that from being sent to Afghanistan. And if more of these sorts of characters suddenly start dying in Afghanistan and then the aid is uh, delivered, you could, that, I would say that that means that the Taliban potentially kept these guys around or kept him around as a bargaining chip. Um, that's one theory. But it, it's odd that he was in Kabul. Um, that doesn't make if sense. If he was, we don't
2: know that he was.
3: Well, that's can't true. We any, don't know that he you was. You can't believe any of that us. he was. I'm but just... but it, it is odd. Yeah. It is odd yeah. that he, they're saying he was in Kabul, of all places, I would have thought. Again, uh, one of the far northern regions or potentially even Pakistan. Um, but to what well, you're we, saying it was
2: speculated. So they've. Yeah. Well, well, well they, they speculated you, for a long time. That He was in Pakistan, but according to various, um, uh, well, according to Sebel Edmonds back 10 years ago, that he was in either Azerbaijan or Dagestan or something like this, Yeah, that's where they were concentrating. I mean, keep in mind, not too long. That was around the time of the operations taking place in Georgia, and also uh, there were some imitations of a uh, potential repeat of, of Chechnya, but...
3: Yeah, I think that uh, this well, I this don't guy, know. We don't know. Yeah. It, um, well, You mentioned Bulgaria as well. That sent off alarm bells. Historically, Bulgaria is uh, a weapons trafficking hub. I mean, not even historically. They they are currently.
2: Uh, I mean, which is something he was arrested for.
3: Yeah. Weapons so,
2: trafficking. I forget which country. Because he was arrested so many times, I can't remember. But he was arrested... At uh, one point for weapons trafficking.
3: Yeah, I mean Bulgaria. Bulgaria in particular has uh, a history of dealing to everybody. I mean, dealing under the table, double dealing. They they will basically sell anybody weapons. Either you know they have a very large um, sort of formalized public weapons sale business or weapons manufacturing business. They have uh, a well-known. I mean, it's, it's like a giant open secret. A very large underground weapons resale business, um, an equipment resale business. So, you know, the, all kinds of Soviet equipment, Chinese equipment, um, old European equipment, old American equipment. Um, well, yeah, they were one of the primary manufacturers of small arms. Yeah, I mean, they, they they they. You know, everybody so, has been involved with Bulgaria at one point. Even Eric Prince was, I think, at one point pulling assets out of Bulgaria and putting them into some uh, military he was building in Africa. There, there was a story about it. But, you know, if this guy was spotted or, or located in Bulgaria at one point, that would indicate that he was probably, uh, you know, organizing a weapon sale. And you can only do that if you have cloud and quite a bit of money so then the question is where's the money coming from you know so uh you can't well, <laughs> well the money would have been coming from the bin laden Saudi, right exactly uh, connection. And, or, where's this um, you mean, know you can get access trace to that literally billions of dollars yeah but you said something as and, well uh, according to
2: Bell Edmonds, well uh, his meetings in um turkey were apparently with the turkish uh, the Turkish security state that was the the branch of NATO, the Turkish NATO security state that was involved in the alleged uh, Gladio B operations, and in Azerbaijan, apparently according to Sebel, that uh, their FBI files that he was meeting with U.S. military attaches and uh, Saudi intelligence and diplomatic people in in um, Azerbaijan. And also, interestingly, I should note, I don't have anything to really say about it, but I should note that she also made a point out of Romania being one of the the NATO states that were involved with these operations in particular.
3: Yeah, I mean, Romania is also well known for being a trafficking hub. So it's another one of these places where uh, historically I think it's Bulgaria, Romania, and Croatia are these primary trafficking hubs that have uh, been more open to sort of Western interests. Serbia as well has been a big weapons trafficking hub, although I, I think, I don't know if the West has been able to get much out of there. But Romania and Croatia in particular were involved with the... He uh, was there as well. Yeah, I mean, they, they were involved with um, the uh, the gun running after the, uh, the botched gun running operation in, um, in Libya where, uh, the CIA base got whacked, uh, it shifted towards Croatia and I think Romania, and that was one of the ways in which weapons were then being funneled back into Syria for the expansion of the war. And, um, uh, so these countries have been involved in all kinds of these sort of Islamic revolutionary activities, starting in the, after the cold war, um, You know, you you were mentioning about him being so active in the 90s uh, uh, and, you know, working with Turkish intelligence and so forth and the beginnings of the Gladio, you know, sort of Gladio B. Uh, There was a lot of activity in Central Asia in the 90s, um, particularly Uzbekistan. And uh, Uzbekistan had its own sort of al-Qaeda-ish group that was basically al-Qaeda. It was allied with al-Qaeda – um, it worked with them pretty heavily starting in the nineties. They've repeatedly attempted to assassinate the, uh, uh, former sort of like post Soviet, uh, I don't know, Uzbek in charge. <laughs> I don't know what his technical title was. I, I don't like saying dictator cause it's very, it's, you know, the term is very gay now, but, um, Uh, The guy that basically ran Uzbekistan for a long time after. Better uh, to be a dictator than to be gay. Right, exactly. Uh, The term is just so overused now. But anyways, um, they attempted to assassinate him on multiple occasions, and they started a a series of, um, it was the Islamic Party of Uzbekistan or something like that. It was like a breakaway group. And they started all of these uh, uh, sort of conflicts in the Fergana Valley, um, and then when the Uzbek government finally sort of uh, uh, centralized around the Russian-backed uh, uh, candidate or the Russian-backed part or faction, uh, they sort of crushed these guys. And then they were still working with al-Qaeda, and they found their way into, into Tajikistan, and they tried to enmesh themselves in the Tajik Civil War, which was also going on in the 90s, which uh, was also – Basically, you know, being fought between uh, like a neo-communist who's still around, uh, and Imamali, uh, whatever that guy's name is, uh, and a bunch of sort of uh, Islamist types. So the, these sorts of characters uh, who were, were, you know, aligned with Al-Qaeda and were basically attempting to overthrow the Central Asian, post-Soviet Central Asian governments, uh, in the '90s, and were probably involved in uh, conflicts in the Caucasus. Uh, it's pretty widespread, um, and I think you and I, when you and I were chatting earlier, and you mentioned that. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, I asked, like, why? What is Al Qaeda still doing? Like, what what is their goal anymore? And you mentioned uh, basically making way for Turkish uh, incursions into Syria. That's been one of their primary achievements. Has been. Um, why you know sort of uh, wearing down the Syrian military so much that uh, I think Turkey is now very openly uh, starting to claim territory in northern Syria, and the Syrian military has no uh, operational capability anymore to repel them or to uh, or to confront them after ten years of, of civil war or what whatever it is now. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense to an extent, too, if he was involved in Azerbaijan. There's an
2: incredible statement here in this um, Wikipedia page. So it says here, in September of 2015, Zawahiri urged Islamic State uh, ISIL to stop fighting on this front, uh, the official al-Qaeda affiliate in Syria, and to unite with all other jihadists against the supposed alliance between, get this, America, Russia, Europe, Shiites, and Iran, and Bashar al Assad's alawite regime. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe there's some goat herder that that makes sense to, but I don't think so. Like, it, it, the guy, like, the question is so, like, who the Al Qaeda brand is for anymore because. Uh, the former al-Qaeda militants that are operating in Syria no longer go by al-Qaeda, right? Uh, they go by—there's many different— Al-Nusra, okay, so al-Nusra was the one that was most closely aligned with that, the, That. Uh, well, the Zawahiri sort of hierarchy to al-Qaeda, but uh, the Islamic State in Iraq, I mean, these are— it's hard for us to make sense of these. These are just brands. I mean, I remember distinctly when the ISIS rebrand was happening, and most of this, I think, is for Western consumption. Uh, the dividing lines in Near Eastern politics are the traditional uh, rift in the Islamic world between Sunni and Shia, and as well as you know ethno-regional conflicts. Um, I mean, there you have the relationship, for example, the Pashtun peoples to uh, Arab uh, Islamic militans, m- militancy, uh, but I, it seems that there was some kind of—I think that the, what I'll say about this overall that's kind of interesting is I, I think that they're rolling up the Al-Qaeda brand altogether. I don't think they want to do this anymore. But I do think that the announcement of the assassination, the alleged assassination of Zawahiri, is curious because Americans, for example, the media-consuming American public, can't be expected to know who to know or to remember who this guy was. I mean, there are times in which they harped on him a little bit, but he's still just an interchangeable uh, foreign name to people. It's I mean, not.
0: To, to be I honest, I don't think this
2: was for some kind of clout. You know, like
0: well maybe you uh were about to disagree, but my instinct is it reminds me a little bit of how the alleged assassination of Osama bin Laden occurred a little bit before the election cycle for Obama and his reelection campaign. I don't know if uh the Biden administration feels like it needs a boost. I certainly would if I were them, and uh it's possible that this might be related to something like that because I, I think Nick or, or Hans, I can't remember, uh, you were saying that um, the CIA openly uh, admitted the responsibility for the assassination of this guy, yeah. which yeah, is yeah. unusual.
2: The, the Department of Defense denied any involvement. Well, the CIA refused to comment, but it's being attributed in the Associated Press to the CIA. Um, so the, the 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 media is saying it's the CIA. Uh, the CIA itself doesn't have anything to say, but they never really do. Yeah, but
3: if the media uh, is disagree, doing it, that, uh, that is the CIA's uh, number... way of, of bragging. I mean, the CIA yeah, is. Yeah, a yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Right, right, right.
3: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. No, I mean, I wanted to look at the CIA organ of the Washington Post, but apparently that's all paywalled now. Uh, that they had a couple articles about it. and I was very curious to read them and I, I didn't go through the effort. of can, can we get on the New York times and WAPO through uh, archive.org?
0: I've, I think I've seen people do that, but, uh, might have to wait a little bit.
2: Okay. It, it way a little bit. I, yeah. If it's fresh, I, I have not been able to do that before. Maybe someone else knows how to do that, but I, I've never really cared enough. Uh, the the most frustrating thing with that stuff is trying to get into old New York Times archives rather than the new stuff, and like still getting paywall cocked. But, anyways, uh, to what you say, Adam, uh, I yeah I disagree. For the partly for the reason I said already that uh, Bin Laden is a ubiquitous household name to your average American uh, consumer, and uh, Zawahiri is not, despite the fact that if you read the Media accounts of him and the role that he played in the Al Qaeda organization—that he was, is a more significant uh, sort of operational guy than Bin laden who's maybe more of a money guy and a face. Uh, but uh, I no, I don't think that that's an explanation that is uh, sufficient. though it's funny with that, like the killing, the alleged killing, or the alleged like second killing of Bin Laden was something that had Michael Moore like singing the praises of the CIA. <laughs> if you remember after that film, Zero Dark Thirty was released. Oh, uh, Michael Moore said something to the effect that he's, he's just like so proud to be an American because a mulatto president was finally able to assassinate like someone halfway around the world that was a, a threat to like American values, you know. It was really grotesque. Yeah, the the
0: values of wearing an extra, extra, extra large T-shirt and a baseball cap and uh, sneakers to your award ceremony. Michael Moore.
2: Yeah, this is the same guy who was making his bones like in the early 2000s on the fact that the security state was being built up around um, the war hysteria in in the uh, post-9-11 time. I mean, whatever. Uh, I'm surprised the guy's still alive, but I guess he has enough money. Anyways, no, I don't. I don't think that's a sufficient explanation. Um, I think a better explanation, or at least something that is more to the point, is um, there was that drone strike recently that happened that killed a, just some random family. I think it was quite a large family because this is a Muslim family, uh, and the New York Times itself. Uh, gave heavy, heavy heavy coverage to it. If you remember this, it was uh, shortly after the uh, withdrawal of the American forces from Afghanistan. Uh, And so that was like, that was at least in recent memory, the first really bad press that was given full sanction of the, um, the highest echelons of the Zionist media. And so I don't know. Maybe it's like if they're going to start drone striking in Kabul, they're going to have to have a really good reason to do it. And so they pull this guy. Like, this is the guy they've never claimed to have killed before. So maybe they claim to have killed him now uh, when they do a drone strike in Kabul. We don't know that it's him they killed. I have no reason to think it is him that they killed. I, I don't understand Hans's point earlier. I have, There's no real reason why he would be in Kabul, from my understanding. I mean, it's, I guess... It's possible that like there's some reason to be there well, because people think it's safe it's, to do know, deals now that the Americans aren't there. But apparently the Americans are still there. If they can drop a, if they can drop a missile, I guess as Hank was saying, is it not a not a warhead, but some kind of kinetic uh, hellfire, uh, you know. Americans are still there if they, if they have the capability to do that. So, obviously, it's not like a safe place to meet up if you're trying to do some kind of deal with whoever you're trying to do a deal with. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting they reported on it. I, I, my, my answer to the question, Adam, is that I think the amount they set up a narrative about, you know, doing like wanton mass murder drone strikes in the immediate aftermath of the withdrawal so it's like if they're going to admit they just did a drone strike they have to have like a good reason just to have done it and like one of these guys who's been on the FBI most wanted list for you know fucking two decades is a pretty good reason I guess I don't know why they think they need a reason anymore but that's my explanation
0: yeah I don't know
3: Yeah, there is something very odd about him being there, as we've we've said. You know, uh, I think that we're sort of implying that he is maybe an asset or he was an asset. And it's totally possible that um, in an effort to sort of accomplish many goals, one of which might be rebranding the drone strike as a uh as an effective you know sort of contained means of killing uh be to lure this mm-hmm. guy yeah, to a point. to a location that they control they know very well i mean the u.s military has spent 20 years in couple they must have an hour hey,
2: uh,
3: i, I want to say real quick uh to give some color to what
2: you're saying uh the house that he was living in or allegedly living in the house that was hit or allegedly hit, <laughs> who the fuck knows, man. But what they're claiming, the house that they're claiming was hit by a Hellfire missile uh, was in the former Green Zone where Afghan collaborators with the occupation regime lived.
3: Yeah, uh, you know, something about this is just bizarre. And I, I could see, a, you know, one argument here is that they lured him. He's a longtime asset or somehow they, they lured him to this location that they know very well. And uh, they've spent 20 years there. They must know these buildings quite well. And um, they used him as target practice or or as propaganda. I don't know. Or they just hit a building and it's totally possible they screwed up again. And instead of hitting a target, they hit uh, another family and they're like, well, shit. Um, Let's just say we got Zahiri. Because... uh, (laughs) You know, well, the, the, I mean, nobody's heard from this guy in years, yeah, by the way. For, so let's just say we got him.
2: Well, yeah, and his his recent video releases that he allegedly made. I mean, what can be done now with deep fakes is a whole nother subject. That, yeah. Uh, but we'll just say he's been relatively quiet uh, outside of uh, you know following because following the death of Bin Laden, he became you know the nominal head of an organization that doesn't necessarily exist and uh i i don't know you know i it's not you you can't really draw too many conclusions the curious part the fact that we have to deal with is that they're saying this and why are they saying this i don't know Nobody knows. I mean, we don't really have, we, we don't have the means to figure this out. For what it's worth, the Taliban government of uh, a, a free Afghanistan, I guess is where we're at now, uh, said that no, there were no casualties. So there, nobody else is saying that anyone was killed, let alone that this very high profile national man of mystery terrorist uh, was killed. I should also add that Zawahiri, like bin Laden, I mean, this he was not like some goat herder. I mean, the man was a doctor. He was a surgeon. Uh, came from a very well-connected uh, aristocratic Egyptian-Saudi family. So, that, like, this wasn't... So, and he spoke multiple languages as well. You know, this wasn't just like some backcountry Pashtun guerrilla fighter. I mean, this was a, a guy who was able to travel extensively, have connections to serious money through the bin Laden family, which I guess allegedly he hadn't met up with until the later 90s, I think it was. Uh, So he was himself doing something between the assassination of Sadat and the 90s. He was picked up by the Russians in 96, allegedly in Switzerland at one point, uh, arrested multiple times, convicted of Uh, given a death sentence in absentia in egypt for the i think it was in 97 when they killed all those tourists including like some japanese and americans and stuff it was like 56 people there shot them up and hacked them up with machetes uh that was a that that put a damper on people wanting to go see the pyramids for a few years (laughs) I mean, Egyptian tourism hasn't really done well since like the late '90s, (laughs) like like 2000, and then the Arab Spring when they looted the museums and started fucking shooting people and burning down.
3: Well, I think that that was was the final straw for a lot of the uh, for the Egyptian military because they, uh, yeah, I mean they, you know, they realize like the country's economy is going to collapse if the the tourism uh stops and uh you know i have it on good right. or author- i have it on good authority
1: right.
3: that, that um you know the egyptian military uh basically has their hands in everything and the way that egypt works is that it i mean it's been run by the military effectively you know in, in one way or another for like 80 years and um Every yeah, well, since Nasser, I mean, yeah, some yeah, some yeah.
2: military guys were involved in the uh, Sadat assassination.
3: Yeah, I mean, so every every, but they're 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 just so immensely powerful, regardless of who is nominally in charge. Now, I don't think that they give a shit, and they just they're just going to be in charge up front. But uh, you know, they've always been so powerful, but they have their hands in every industry, and and every aspect of Egypt runs around them. They have their own roads, they have their own. um their own built, you know, their own sort of civil administration buildings. They have their own religious centers. They have, their are on everything. They have their hands in every industry and every piece of the bureaucracy. So, like, you know, Arab Spring comes along, and like decimates the uh, the one thing they have, which is that people want to go there for tourism. And um, you know, I think the Egyptian military was just pissed off because it was gonna. Put a big dent in their, uh, in you know, one of their sort of revenue streams, and so that was probably part of the reason why the uh, the Arab Spring was then swiftly undone. What was it like two years later in Egypt by CC? Um, was simply that you know, the Egyptian military was, yeah, I believe, was losing money.
2: Uh, Mubarak. Mubarak was.
3: I believe it was uh, uh,
2: Was not he, like, vice president under Sadat or something? I mean, Egyptian politics is very complicated, and it's been a great concern to the Zionist entity, especially following the Six-Day War. I mean, Egypt has been the subject of a lot of gay ops. Uh, They don't want... And this all fits into... I mean, the thing that the Jews were most concerned about was the idea of pan-Arabism. I mean, this was something... And that explains why so much funding and uh, false flag violent terror operations have been done to help create the sectarian schism uh, between Sunni and Shia uh, in order to deflect from the common enemy of the Jewish occupation government in Palestine. Uh, this has been this has been East politics for a long time. I mean, throw in also the, the oil trade and all, all kinds of other Hands in the pot, so to speak. But that's been the main issue. And you look at Zawahiri's career; that's he's been fanning the flames of exactly that. I mean, these kind and those kinds of actions, like the the murder of those tourists in in '97, like the, these are the kinds of things that are done in the service of, of Israel. As from a, whether they were or were not directly Mossad operations, they're definitely in the service of the Zionist entity. And. Uh, we have a hard time understanding these politics because we, if we don't have the access to translators, and this is stuff that's definitely not put out for the American public. Every now and then, you know, you have your deep CIA Jew, like Seymour Hersh, who writes some kind of inside baseball expose on, on something with, like, Pakistani intelligence and uh, what's really, you know, air some dirty laundry, which is probably just to keep the certain elements in check that are getting a little bit carried away which i would say is probably what happened with that new york times uh, focus on the drone strike that had killed that family um you know because i mean that happened all over the course of the, the whole war on terror tm i mean they did that shit all the time
3: yeah i mean it became uh, like a running silent. Like, became like a running meme almost that like oh you know obama hit another wedding party and it was you're right right, i did find it odd when they they devoted so much coverage to it it was like you know they've done this three or four dozen times that we know of like they've admitted to it that they've hit wedding parties they've hit innocent groups like they've hit aid workers so
2: that that american citizen i mean not that he ever should have been an american citizen but um (laughs) Uh, well, uh Anwar al-Awlaki. Yeah, yeah. I think they hit him in Africa. I yeah, think they hit him when, in that Yemen was a target or... to drone
3: assassination of someone. Oh, was it Yemen? It might have been Yemen. From
2: what I, I thought recall. It, yeah. Well, it's been a while, man. This this shit just it, it it just never ends, but that was a that was an interesting moment because that was someone with an American passport. He was he was nominally an American citizen. Obviously, he should not have been an American citizen, but it doesn't change the fact that they he, was another, he,
3: he was another. He was another interesting character camera. in that he was like... Um, yeah, very similar. Very similar to Zahiri in that he was... He had kind of a questionable background, and how he exactly got into terrorism was bizarre. I mean, you know, here was a guy that... Um, was well known for shilling for George W. Bush, and was like kind of like one of these Republican Party sort of propagandists to inner city Muslims, and you know he was like giving lectures yep. to to people about uh, you know like free market merchant stuff for Islam, and it, it was you know so here you have this guy that is doing basically the dirty work to get W neoconservatives elected. And then war on terror starts. He suddenly becomes a terrorist. He somehow gets halfway across, not halfway across the planet. He gets to the other side of the planet and he becomes like a hardened, active terrorist leader running operations. And then we assassinate him. Like something about this story never really made sense to me. And, you know, I, I suspect that some a lot of these guys um, are not exactly real to I mean you know they, they're not real people or that they well, they assume well, sort of an identity they all like
2: are invariably they're, all, they're they're always highly proficient yeah you know, from where, wherever they come from from whatever that they are there there are always people who are well, well-educated uh, intelligent and capable people they're not like you don't have there's no like fbi wanted like muhammad 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 you know who was born a poor goat herder it's it's always people who are connected in some way uh some usually they're in and out of prison at some point especially in places that uh, you have obvious cia black sites uh, which is, that's the other connection. And again, like Eastern Europe, that was a big one. They put a, a good number. I know they put one in Poland. Well, the yeah, other in was an Extraordinary a,
3: rendition. I mean, there were, uh, well, what you said about prison, um, what's his name? Al Baghdadi the former isis leader or whatever yes. uh he was he spent years yes. in an american yes. prison in iraq yeah. who, who he he was out.
2: one that was killed multiple
3: times <laughs> yeah i'll <all>, bet <laughs> he was one he was killed more times than Bin Laden was killed. he was also pictured with john mccain yeah in and it, Syria. That, yeah. yeah 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 yeah
2: yeah yeah
0: who yeah. was the guy who had the and uh luxuriant uh, chest and back hair uh, uh mugshot is that the guy there was some dude who, uh, who they captured and they had him like in prison. Oh, no, and...
2: you're talking about Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who I don't, they claimed 9 11 on and then they tortured to death. Yeah, that sounds right. Because I followed it for fucking two decades, dude. <laughs> like, I know exactly the picture you're talking about. Khalid yeah. Sheikh Mohammed. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. Who is another example of yeah, somebody they fucking, they fucking black bagged uh, and tortured into a confession. I mean, America is such a fucking sham, dude. And, like, I take, like, the Boston Marathon bombings. That's uh, another one that ties very easily into uh, Gladio B. I mean, these guys, they were, what, uh, ch- like... Uh, the Z- the Chechen, Zarnoffs? Like, Kyrgyzstanis or something. Yeah. No, they were, they were yes. Who had, like, very easily document- doc- documentable ties to American intelligence. Uh, they whether or not that was like blowback, or I mean, I I digress. Uh, it it really wasn't much of a bombing either. Well, I do remember you can like buy a pressure cooker <laughs> in that <laughs> part of the Northeast for a few. I also remember. I remember. I remember one of my favorites was the cop. So they they made a uh, craft brew, like they made a special one-off like beer line. Uh, I I think I, I think his name was Officer it was like officer collier or something and it was like collier or Col whatever it probably wasn't french it was probably more more quan in pronunciation but uh it was like collier. color strong or something and it was, uh, yeah it was a, it was a beer and shaken uh, the thing stirred. about that pig who got who got um who got killed he wasn't killed in a bombing he was shot to death while he was parked in his squad car near the university And they blame, like, these two Chechen kids. I mean, dude, they were rolling around in fucking Boston with Humvees and M60s pointing at people's fucking second floor windows. Okay? It was like they declared fucking martial law on the city. They ran all kinds of operations. They burned down. They burned down a building. Nobody explained that. Like, the whole thing... I, I don't know what to say to Americans anymore, man. It's just like I haven't known what to say to Americans since nine eleven. Like, there's really no point in having a conversation with people about any of this because they don't have any kind of context for it. Of all the things that have been accomplished under the war on terror and the people who are responsible have not been held accountable. Well, and these people get up here and grandstand about the fact that they burned one of their guys. It's just it's so fucking tiresome.
3: Well, is it? Is it? Can we? So it's been what twenty-one years since the war on terror. And
2: they began. blew up those buildings in okay, New York City. Okay, so
3: we've we've been so we've been twenty-one years into the war on terror. Um, something that was really irksome, or not irksome, but curious to me was why hit this guy now. Nobody remembers Al-Qaeda anymore. Nobody cares. There hasn't been a major Islamic anything in years. No major attacks.
0: Well, they've been doing COVID.
3: Most Islamic, even prior to COVID, most Islamic countries are really in the doldrums now economically and socially, and they're not even that interesting anymore. Nothing's really happening other than just sort of slow collapse. And – it could it didn't really make any sense to me you know why are we hitting this terror leader I, no was anybody asking for this <laughs> you know like it was actually it was it's bizarre because yeah, you know yeah, it the, felt the, it military military felt like the war on terror was. the war on terror had kind of quietly come to a close and you know the the islamic radicalism had died out mainly because i think um you know a lot of uh, sort of North American and European populations began looking at it as, uh, you know, uh, evidence for anti-immigration stances or partially for an anti-immigration stance, right? We don't need these Muslims. They commit all these terrorist attacks. And you notice that a lot of these terrorist attacks suddenly stopped when, you know, this became like party platform. In a dozen countries, you know, this these issues of like why are yeah, we having, why are we having these uh, sorts of very dem- curious why are we having these sorts of demographic conflicts in our own countries? Why are these people here? Why are they committing these crimes? And so suddenly, the tap gets turned off, and the global war on terror sort of slowly starts to wrap up. You know, the last of. These groups are mostly finished off or dead. They're only really active anymore in Africa. And for the most part, it seems like the U.S. military and a lot of these sub-Saharan African countries have eliminated most of them as well, particularly al-Shabaab.
1: Well, they're there. They've been
2: deploying, though. They've been, uh, JSOC has been, they've been deploying to
3: Africa. Yeah. And they've been, they've uh, been in Uganda. Year or so. There've been a lot of deployments. Yeah. And so I, but I feel to generally, you know, the, the global war on terror kind of has come to a close and it felt like it very much came to a close last year with, uh, the, the fall of, of Kabul and, and the fall of Bagram air base, um, and so suddenly, you know, a year later, roughly, uh, we're hitting an Al Qaeda leader, and it, it's it's sort of out of sync with how everything else has progressed. Maybe one way to look at this is it just is, it's yeah. like a it's like a cleanup. You know, the the global war on terror stuff is basically over. Most Islamic countries, as I said, are. Um, deeply in decline some of them as a result of the war on terror they've been effectively you know neutered they they're just never gonna be able to rebuild effectively um and many of the other ones are suffering from a litany of problems and islamic radicalism has really died out as a functional political force it's been mostly neutralized um so it's just—it seems odd that we're, you know, sort of taking this guy down, and we're, you know, uh, still hunting for Al Qaeda operatives twenty years later, uh, despite well, the fact that all of this is sort of wrapped up, and and the nobody really no, it's yes, not it, only that nobody cares, but it honestly feels as though that this is over, like the Islamic radical uh, era, whatever they were attempting to do with it whether they, was, they were attempting to destabilize Middle Eastern countries and, and sort of change demographics in other countries or overthrow regimes in Central Asia uh, overthrow Iran, whatever it was, it, it wrapped up. I mean, most of it was a failure. And so why are they picking this guy off now? What What, what is the impetus for this? Yeah, to,
1: to
2: add, Hans, I, I would say... Yes and no. like I, I I think you're you're right about a lot of that, but, on the other hand, I mean, things are hot and heavy still in Syria, and they've been going on for a while. But some dynamics have changed because if you accept that the operational strategy following the collapse of the Soviet Union and the failure, to capture Russia under the international system in the nineties, uh, pivot, started pivoting. I mean, even then it was like, look at, look at the wars of Chechnya and look at the fact that now you have Chechnyans being deployed with Russians in Ukraine to fight against NATO. I mean, it it was clearly a failure. I mean, this was this was always a Cold War strategy. I mean, the Mujahideen was the product of this. Though back then it wasn't as, you didn't have that Wahhabist element to it. It wasn't as uh, fanatically religious in essence. It was, it was just traditional colonial guerrilla war struggle strategy of tension. But it's still going on here and there, and you still have the Uyghurs. Uh, however, the Uyghurs clearly are not getting a lot of support material support to actually do a uh, revolutionary struggle against china they're they're more now just being treated as oh like they're like the six million uyghurs who are being oppressed by the chinese as a propaganda point i don't, don't think they have any confidence that they're going to be able to put uh, any kind of real pressure on china by using uyghur assets because i mean like how do you even do that like how do you get weapons and materials. I mean, a lot of those attacks that were done by Uyghurs were done with knives. I mean, that's not exactly an easy place for the CIA to be funneling weapons into. Uh, before we progress further, I just wanted to mention, since I mentioned the F, uh, the Boston bombing, you guys remember when the FBI hostage rescue team assassinated one of the friends of the Tsarnaev brothers? In his living room, and claimed that he was reaching for a sword on the mantle. <laughs> you guys, remember that one?
0: Oh boy! Yeah. No, hope, we have. I hope like, it was a really big killers sword.
2: Are right here at home, like the idea that the American, like, it's so fucking funny, man. Like, in a, in a in the worst possible way. I mean, it's for the past two decades of my life, you have like the Jews on the television whining about. Uh, Their enemies in the Middle East and how they're a threat to you while they blow up your fucking buildings in Manhattan. I mean, not really mine, because New York is its own country. But, you know, the point was still taken. Uh, well, your insurance premiums went up because of it. And, and Silverstein
0: got the payout from those buildings. <laughs>
2: yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Lucky Larry, man. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just like they're they're training like paramilitary death squads in our own country to you know assassinate american citizens <laughs> and they've been doing it for for two decades and set up a massive surveillance grid where like everything that you say or do is monitored by these people and they could send a death squad at any given time to just kill you and your family i mean it's just something you should keep in the back of your mind i guess uh, but 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 keep in mind like uh Democracy can, can can sleep safely knowing that uh, Anwar, no, it's not Anwar, fucking uh, Ayman, you gotta, you got to remember your names, right? Ayman al-Zawahiri is allegedly dead, so now you can sleep safe uh, while your government uh, plots your extermination. I... I feel fine. You guys feel fine? <laughs> you got some other current events
0: you want to cover? Yeah, man. I'm, I'm so numb to this stuff, uh, unfortunately, which is actually not good. And that's partly why I do this show, to re- re-energize my uh, spidey senses. Um, yeah, I had a couple of things. Uh, Hans and I were bouncing a little bit about the economy, um, but do we... Well let's just stick on the assassination theme for the time being I suppose. Um so actually right when we were wrapping up our last show uh Nick told me it was coming in from the wire that the Japanese uh former prime minister Shinzo Abe uh Abe son uh, had been shot. You didn't believe me at first cuz we were we were chatting like as the news broke. Yeah yeah well I I was just shocked. I, I, I just wanted to confirm it, but it was um, it was also like, okay, is he dead and he hadn't died yet and and eventually he he succumbed to his injuries. Um, but let, let's just uh, go with the official story uh, regarding that. So that happened uh, about three weeks ago uh, last month, and he was giving a, a stump speech. Uh, for the uh, Liberal Democratic Party. Got to love the naming of that one. I mean, I'm sure it's a little lost in translation, of course, from the original Japanese. But that's the mm-hmm. ruling party of Japan. They, they basically, they, they've they been in power with an occasional off, but they've been pretty much on ever since the end of the war. Uh, and so he was a member of uh, the LDP and he was giving a a speech for them on their behalf, even though he was he's no longer prime minister. But it's a parliamentary democracy in japan and so he was still a member of their parliament which is called the uh, the diet and uh, he was shot by this guy uh and it wasn't clear who he was until a little bit more recently but he was uh, a member or his mother was a member of the Mooney church uh which i had to kind of look into i'd heard of it but it was sort of like big in the it 70s there's a lot of cia connections definitely Definitely. And they, they have a very anti-communist event. They also own the Washington Times uh, which is, is fairly right-leaning I, I guess they're, you could say. kind of
2: it, I, like it, now that we've drifted from the, the Islamic world to Asia uh, it's similarly some things are similarly murky but it, it's somewhat similar to like Falun Gong in terms of its relationship to the American power uh, though South Korea itself is, of course, uh, an adjunct
3: to Zog, yeah, there uh, were a lot like of weird China, elements but, of the uh, yeah. of the Mooney cult where like they would force uh, Japanese women to marry Korean men. And there mm-hmm. was a lot of bizarre sort of like, um, masochism towards jap you know the japanese like you need to feel sorry for uh for what you did to yeah. korea comfort women you need to give yeah
2: they're you know, obs- Dude, they're obs- yeah the comfort women
0: they're obsessed they, with they this never shit. shut up about it
2: i i actually i should i should talk about this because like i don't know when i'll ever get to again so recently i came across like regarding the comfort women question. I came across this. I, I talked to you about this, Adam. Yeah. There was a guy who was, uh, he was, he was an academic of some kind, like a prestigious academic. I mean, he was one of the, one of the big schools. Uh, and he published this paper about the comfort women, uh, mythology. And he, he grew up in Japan, you know, was the son of diplomats or whatever, who were living there was a, went on to do like Ivy league stuff. And he, he, Explained the reality of the situation this paper and the denunciations of this were very interesting Uh, And it goes back to the fact that uh, South Korea is very SOC and I mean that in a a very literal way I mean it is supported by the Zionist entity and North Korea is not Uh, best Korea as it's colloquially known Uh, It got denunciations from Jewish papers in Israel um, there, and there were
0: these uh what does that tell you yes yeah
2: because what the point that he made were like comfort women they weren't like it wasn't like burlap sack over the horse kind of situation it was that these these women were prostitutes who followed the japanese army around and this has been some this you know great national disgrace to Korea, and they made all these films and they have all this mythology that they, these women were like pressed into sexual slavery, uh, but the reality is they were just whores. Like it wasn't really much more complicated than that. There were some disputes over the nature and terms of their contracts, of course, because the war started not going so well, but um, the reality is it wasn't like the the South Korean. Myth- about it is very extreme. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, like, I don't think we have any South Korean listeners, but, you know, like, the, you'll find that, like, anytime the subject comes up, like, there's, like, they have their own, like, equivalent of the Jewish Internet Defense Force over, like, the comfort women subject. Yeah. But the animosity, and I think this is something that's been
0: deliberately fueled on a lot of levels well yeah uh, i i have i have no dog in this fight i i am very um, appreciative and uh, admiring of both korea and japan and china for that matter so i I don't have any particular side here well i i just wanted to say i think the particular issue uh is is used and played up and perpetuated by the media to use as a convenient cudgel against Japan as a sort of guilt uh, tool to manipulate them. Just like, you know, Germany is guilted by the supposed Holocaust. Uh, it, it's it's the same stuff. It's basically like you guys get out of line. We're going to remind you of your war crimes and we're going to get the whole world to condemn you so that you get in line.
2: They, and They get off a lot easier,
0: though, than Germany did. Oh, just sure. Because of, I mean, of course, the because, of the situation. well, but, I mean, yeah. in the West. I, I agree. Yes, you're, but, you're right. Um, th- that's just, how I read it. But, but they did get off a lot easier. Yeah, and, like, and unit, the, yeah, the thing about... 31 or whatever, like, that, that's not blown up to... Me. Right, right. The, the experiments and stuff. Um, the, the thing about Abe is... And I, I honestly, I don't really understand why he was shot. I mean, it, it's, it's perfectly possible that it was just kind of like uh, a mistake or there was just a nut job involved here. I mean, if you actually look at the the alleged weapon that was used to shoot uh, Abe, it was a homemade hand cannon. Um, fairly well done, you know, by, you know, Japanese even standards, but uh, got to give the guy props for finding enough duct tape and uh, PVC pipe to pull this off. Uh, you know, no offense to uh, Mr. Abe, but um, he, apparently he had built several of these, and they found like a whole assortment of these uh, the, these guns, and they were basically like one shot per barrel, so this one had two, but the, the Japanese police, they pulled out of the guy's apartment, something to ha- it looked like a Nerf gun, it had like a seven barrels on it, and like he, I don't know what he was planning, but it, it, he, he took out Abe with a blunderbuss. <laughs> yeah. like... Did you see the footage of the gun going off? It
3: was no. like a giant puff of smoke. It looked like like a <laughs> it's,
2: yeah.
3: It's it was it was ridiculous.
2: Do you, do you remember that time? Do you remember that time the the, the like Benjamin Netanyahu served
0: him uh, dessert in a shoe, and he ate it. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna have to look for that one. <laughs> was it a male or a female shoe? Oh, dude.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: I mean, it's
2: equally offensive from a Japanese perspective. I mean, <laughs> uh, I think it was a male shoe, though. I mean, it was like the, I don't know. The Japanese eat sushi
0: off of naked women, so you never know what they're into. Um, well,
2: they. Uh, There's a big difference between a shoe and a naked woman
0: I would agree in the Arab world the shoe is definitely considered offensive <laughs> which <laughs> which begs the question what Netanyahu is thinking since he basically lives in the Arab world um but I was just gonna go yeah, into should, sort of like, you. You don't
2: think it was a political assassination?
0: I don't know. So here's here's the the sort of running theories about. I don't know either. What <laughs> what what Abe was sort of representative of at least, and to whom he might have been an enemy. Uh, you can only speculate as to like actually who put the bullet in motion. Uh, but he it was basically he he's the longest serving prime minister of japan uh as far as i know and part of that is because he served a very brief um first term and then resigned and he sort of came back and i guess their term limits sort of like with putin like he he could come back again um and so then he he served two terms and so he was he was in there for a good eight years plus his first term And when he was around, I I do remember this. They were making kind of a big deal of it in the financial press about Abenomics. That was one of his platforms. Uh, And it was basically just we're going to spend our way to prosperity, government spending, which they've been doing, by the way, for 20 years. So there was really nothing new. He was just kind of doubling down on it. Uh, and he was about, you know, goosing the stock market, doing all this stuff to make people rich and, and basically confident. That was the whole Abenomics thing. I don't really know how that could inspire somebody to want to shoot him. But, uh, the other stuff that he was doing was more political, uh, where he was visiting the Yasukuni shrine, which is this, uh, um uh, I've actually been to it. It's, uh, it's interesting, but it's basically a cemetery in the middle of uh, Tokyo. Oh, and... In Tokyo? Yeah, it's in Tokyo. And I've been there yeah and it's it, it just looks like any other Japanese temple or shrine. there's like a lot of stone and rock. Uh, but what is controversial about it, and again, they always like remind the Japanese you know never forget you guys are, are evil and you have to listen to us and accept immigrants uh, is th- it houses the basically the World War II leaders of Japan and they're always called the war criminals of the war um, by the Western press or the New York times, especially, uh, or the economist. And so he, uh, Abe was going there and it was sort of like the first time or one of the first times that a Japanese prime minister was willing to do that. He would actually go in there and, um, honor these guys. And the other thing was, uh, which is of actual more import was he was, trying to remove the pacifist clause from the Japanese constitution, which the Americans put in by the way, after the war. Uh, and he wanted to re- remilitarize. And during the Trump administration, Abe and, uh, and Trump were getting along because China was sort of in their mutual crosshairs, uh, or at least on their radars as a, a looming threat. And so the idea was that if Japan joins the Americans who have quite a few, uh, air bases and, and, naval bases in Japan, uh, with, uh, encircling China, it would be a win win. And so I think the, you know, the Washington and the Tokyo uh, establishments were, were fine with that. And it was sort of like hushed up that, uh, the, uh, the former enemy of the United States was, was rearming itself. Um, So those are the main planks of Abe. He wasn't in office anymore, but you could see how certain types would not like that perhaps. Um, And then the the alleged shooter, and this is just where you kind of get into the, the, well, you just might have a a kook um, uh, running amok uh, theory, is that he was mad because his mother, who was a Mooney, had... Donated all of her family's money to the church and basically bankrupted herself and sort of her son's chance, I guess, of inheriting it. And he was resentful because apparently Abe had some kind of weird tie to this uh, this church. Um, and I get, I wasn't gonna even refer to it because it it just it looked really nutty to be honest the way it was written but i i found this link uh off of uns but it was directing to rents.com that guy the the long hair guy um and (laughs) yeah yeah, he's a i guess he's a fellow podcaster but i think he precedes podcasts honestly he was on the radio a long time ago but in any case he had some guy japanese guy he's been around forever right yeah it was hair is like white at this point but um he had some Japanese guy publish an article on his site, and the guy he just sounded like he was crazy. I mean, he was just going on about like how the evil Abe had like you know desecrated the Japanese people, Uh and you know some of his points were okay. It was just the way it was written; it was just very emotional. So I'll put a link to it. You guys can maybe dissect it i don't really know what to make of it but of the factual sort of allegations or the factual complaints i should say that uh, this particular guy was writing about was apparently abe had some, some kind of tie and this is where it's like what what is this disinfo he apparently had some kind of tie to the kobe steel back in the 90s where he was secretly funding, according to this guy, weapons of mass destruction. One of which was a. It's sort of like if you've watched enough Japanese anime, you start to see how this like starts to make sense. But uh, <laughs> at least in, in comic books, but oh, no no uh, anime logic. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was building a, a electromagnetic ray gun or something, and uh, uh, apparently it went uh it went awry. And caused the Kobe earthquake of 1995, which was very devastating and killed maybe 2,500 or so He was people. building metal gear. He was <laughs> building metal gear. Yeah, the electromagnetic type. Um, uh, so that guy, that was his first complaint. <laughs> leading with that one. And then he said he had something to do with the Aum Shinrikyo cult. Uh, No details on how Which we did a show on Which we did, yeah And so he, he said yeah. Abe is responsible for the injury of 20,000 subway uh, uh, riders uh, and 12 deaths uh, And then he goes on to talk about the United Christian Church Which I guess is the Moonies uh, and then he complains about uh, basically Abe's ties with uh, the World Economic Forum and sort of more more current stuff. Uh, also, I think the guy didn't like uh, probably the Yasukuni vibe, and he was saying something about uh, Abe's great-grandfather or grandfather, I'd have to look at the article to remember which, uh, was associated with the... Uh, military government during the war and was considered Well, his one great gran-
3: his grandfather uh worked with the cia and the uh the sort of the uh, sort of proto yakuza group i mean we talked about this in the um princes of the yen uh episode but in post-war Japan.
0: Well, sh- shout out uh, to Professor Werner, uh, by the way, who yeah, actually Professor listened Verner. to our show. <laughs>
3: yes,
0: yes <laughs> Yeah, yes. gave us a little Mr. tweet. Mr.
3: Dr. Professor Richard Verner, PhD. Um, uh, yeah, so post-war Japan um, was rife with sort of American spook activity, but there was a lot of these former... Um, Sort of imperial government managers who were let out. Um, pretty much all of them, for the most part, were let out of jail, including uh, Abe's grandfather. And um, they all went on to form the Liberal Democratic Party. Uh, so, you know, Abe has been. Abe's family has been involved in Japanese politics for eighty years. Almost eighty years. Um, I Me, mean, his family has helped shape Japanese politics, and I think that his grandfather and father were were enmeshed with this church, the Moonies. What is odd is why they. I don't know if there's some peculiarities to it. Um, Towards the Japanese branch of the church versus the church in general, but my understanding is that the church in general is actually very anti-Japan. So it's very—it's strange that you know, sort of like burgeoning post-war Japanese nationalists in the LDP uh, are associating themselves with an organization that is starkly anti-Japan. I mean, you know, like as, as I said, it's well known for forcing Japanese or scamming or sort of conning uh, Japanese women to marry Korean men. And there's, there's a lot of sort of anti Japan rhetoric. There's a lot of this uh, sort of uh, Korean uh, woe is me rhetoric that's in, involved in it. And uh, there's, there's a lot of elements to it that revolve around Korea. And so it's not very clear to me why exactly, you know, the Japanese right wing would be associating themselves with this group I, other I, than I th- yeah. they did it out of the other than they did it out of convenience uh, or this was an arranged partnership uh, out of convenience in the 50s to build an anti-communist coalition. I, I, think, in East that's Asia. That's, I think that's, that's probably what, what it was. Yeah. In order to sort of solidify links between uh, South Korea and Japan in the, in the anti-communist fight, it's possible this was ranged. Uh, now, I don't – it seems as though – like I was reading an article about this where evidently Abe had been told multiple times, while well, he was actually prime minister, that the church was still very active and was still causing a lot of problems in Japanese society. Um, They're still running scams. They're still sort of not kidnapping people, but conning people or sort of making people go do things or making them leave. And there's just a lot of weird stuff. And evidently he continuously sort of like pushed this off or just said whatever, like it's not a big deal. And he even – earlier on in his political career had sent some like video messages or like congratulatory messages to some of these events or gatherings that the, um, that the church was having. And so he was involved like pretty heavily with them. Uh, and so were his, 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 his father and grandfather. Uh, So it's not out of the ordinary for this guy who whacked him to say like, well, he he was part of their their group. I wanted revenge. Like. It seems as though he was actually on the mark, like that Abe was involved with this group. Uh, And ever since this happened, apparently inside of Japan, there's been a massive amount of interest in this subject, so the guy was sort of successful, um, uh, Yamagami is his name, in um, in getting people to pay attention to the LDP and the church because evidently now the Japanese society is interested in, in learning more about this. And I guess um, it was kind of a taboo topic for a long time, but now it's front and center Uh so the, weird
2: how far political assassination will go to get people interested in uh, the subject.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, what was what was also interesting was that um, you know Abe had a very curious. Um, Set of policies. On the one hand, you know he wanted remilitarization, and he wanted um, Japanese rapprochement with pre-war Japanese uh, sort of religious beliefs and political beliefs. He visited that that war shrine a couple times, which was a big deal. Um. But on the other hand, you know, Abe pushed for uh, greater expansion of immigration into Japan, and he pushed for greater expansion of, or greater integration of the Japanese economy with the world economy. Uh, so he was sort of a maximalist on every set of policies, even if they were you – know, you would think that they were diametrically opposed. Uh, I don't know if he was if it was a wider plot to uh, sort of get rid of him for some reason. Um, as Adam said, he was out of politics, or he was not out of politics. He was out of office. He wasn't out of politics. I think he was like literally giving a like political speech when he got shot.
0: Uh, yeah. No. He he was still in government. Yeah. And and pretty he influential. Was still, he
3: was like a kingmaker figure or something to that effect, where he was still very powerful in their political apparatus and so he kind of had to kiss his ring to to get somewhere i guess but uh it's it's totally possible that this guy did this just because he was mad i mean apparently he was in the japanese defense force for a while and he had experience with firearms and he had mechanical knowledge it's totally plausible that he just decided to do this um I don't know. It, 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 it. Definitely. definitely. when you this...
2: think about it, like ever since World War II, you know, Japan has become a a vibrant American style democracy. And one of the important features of American style democracy is political assassinations. I mean, when you think about American history, the American history really begins with Abraham Lincoln freeing the niggers, and he was, of course, assassinated. And then you have in the 20th century, you have have, like McKinley, uh, you have both John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, uh, Ronald Reagan, Huey Long. I, I think we're probably overdue for one, but... It's just a part and parcel of it. I mean, if you remember the, what was the last assassination that they had in Japan? It was, what, like the early 60s? It was when the, the what was his, uh, As, Asamun, Asanuma, was it? Well, it was and the socialist candidate. He stabbed to death
3: with a yeah. katana. <laughs> yeah. On live television. He was.
0: Yeah. Um, what's Which is pretty
2: memorable. I mean, that was.
0: I'm trying to remember um, the author. God damn it he uh, he, oh, he, he Mishima. Mishima he killed himself yeah. on live television yeah
2: yeah he killed himself um yeah he wanted to restore the the, the glory of um uh, <laughs> the empire yes.
0: Yeah. yes yeah he was a real one though you know you got you got to take your uh, your hat or your uh your sword off to the man as it were
3: your
2: top
0: not <laughs> right <laughs> I, don't know. I don't think he, he had one he was he was like a buzz cut type of guy um,
2: yeah it was there's a really funny video of him confronting like left wing communists at uh, this rally was, like, when the,
0: I don't know what it was well
2: it's if any, the, anybody's uh, not
0: familiar with yeah, he people, he spoke uh, English and there's some pretty pretty hardcore interviews where he basically talks about how he needs to restore the way of the samurai to the Japanese (laughs) in this like post-war consumerist culture. He finds himself in, um, he, he was a man out of time.
2: And you know what? I know many like him of our own people that are analogs. It's, it's a certain type. I mean, the man was a troubled artist, uh, he was a good novelist. I mean, I've only read him in English. But, you know, yeah, he was a creative guy and uh, troubled on a number of levels. But, you know, it, uh, it's a certain type. More interesting than most people you're ever going to deal with. Even even when they're at their most... Uh, uh, <laughs> even even. <laughs> When oh, and they're trying to stage a coup, but like they're the only guy. <laughs> you guys ready for the coup, and it's like oh, uh, what?
0: <laughs> so, so by the way, the the Abic uh, shooter, uh, alleged shooter. I don't know if they uh, in Japan they do like the American version of like the John Wilkes Booth, Lee Harvey Oswald, the uh, three three uh, name assassin designation. But um, right, y- Yama uh, Yamagani uh, uh, okay. is his family name and i I knew yama means mountain i'm like ghani that what is that well if you plug it in it, it says on the mountain so make of it what you will but uh he was a man on the make perhaps at least he saw himself that way
2: so was he like was he like also stationed at like a um I don't know Chinese intelligence base or some, some kind of analog <laughs> to Lee Harvey Oswald being. Uh,
0: I don't know uh, stationed it, at a uh, YouTube. Base. If anybody reads Japanese and wants to dive into all the conspiracy theories, I encourage anyone to go for it. Um, I I don't I don't think I have the time for that.
2: But, I don't uh... know. If they, I I think it's 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 similar to our first story though, where it's like, well, where where are you going to really make sense of this because. I mean, even if you can understand some Japanese, you're you're gonna have a hard time digging through the, the Japanese press, and most of what you're gonna get is what's being reported
0: again through the AP in English. Oh, and the, the so Japanese, like, How do you really know? What's, the Japanese what's press corps is yeah. notoriously deferential to authority. Um, I've been in the press club in Tokyo, and it's basically just an arm of the establishment, and. Uh, in the rise of Japan Inc., they they were ex- notorious for basically cultivating very obsequious relationships with the corporations and the government. And so they, they're they almost like willingly mouthpieces for the Japanese establishment. So I, I don't know what the equivalent of rents.com <laughs> is in Japan. Maybe it's rents, who knows? He apparently got some Japanese guy to write an article for him. But um, yeah, uh, speaking of... a uh, alternative media i was just poking through um one of uh one of our email accounts and i i noticed on the homepage of yahoo yahoo news uh, alex jones is back in court for this sandy hook thing again have you guys following that at all
2: uh no i know that uh glenn greenwald interviewed him i I don't know if that's what it was over exactly this
0: as maybe, punishment, maybe multiple yeah. court
2: cases at once, but but I know that Glenn Greenwald talked to him. Uh, I didn't listen to it. Um, I don't really, I don't really care. I mean, it's it's hard for me to have any enthusiasm about that. I mean, Jones deserves uh, well, you know. I mean, on the one hand, he's kind of like. A lovable, like, American cartoon character. But on the other hand, he's a Zionist propagandist, and um, he should
0: probably be forced off the air. I mean, that would be for the best. They've pushed him off so many times. I mean, to, to under what grounds <laughs> Not- could they actually stop him from yeah. hosting his own program, though? Because that's what he does now. This uh, Video and infowars.com. Um, I mean, they could they could do the daily storm treatment and basically you just know, deny him access to the Internet, which is I mean, you know,
2: well, he can he can always do what he was born to do. And instead of do the whole radio uh, routine, he could open some kind of like revivalist church,
0: you know, and be the preacher man, because that's yeah. what he is. Yeah, he certainly has the abilities. Um, it's well, interesting,
2: though. I mean, over the years. Did inadvertently do some journalism I mean that did happen Uh, it's been many years since that happened I do remember when he uh, god it's a long time ago but he he interviewed the DC madam who was running a prostitution ring for the uh, political class in DC right before she uh, you know killed herself right it's not Heidi Fleiss he's gotten some good interviews Uh, the DC madam yeah
0: I don't remember what her name actually was. Okay, suffice it to say, she was in Washington.
2: He, he always got Washington. a few good ones. I, there's not much I have to say about Jones. I mean, it, it's like I mean, his his Jewish wife took a lot of his money already. What does he have left to fight a legal case against uh, against the government or whatever? <laughs> well, they gave Whoever they gave him a new Jewish wife. Private party right? Yeah, they right? Yeah, they did assign him a new Jewish wife. <laughs>
0: yeah she she's a a fitness model (laughs) quote unquote you can read into that how you want but uh, oh so
2: so you got you got you got the the top tier because our milkers (laughs) i don't know man is is this just like a, a thing with texans or like am i reading too much into that
0: i don't know i don't know I just remember it's about steers and queers down there from a certain movie I once saw. Yeah.
2: Steers and queers. Alright, so I just, I wanted to talk about this briefly. It kind of relates to the earlier topic I was covering, but uh, if you have been reading uns, uns.com um, Ron Uns has been doing his take on the the plague and the fallout and stuff. I have a lot to say about the UNS take. um, Although if you just like read the comments on any given article that he posts on the subject, like plenty more people have plenty more to say than I do. (laughs) But uh, basically the uh, economist, international Jewish operative uh, Jeffrey Sachs has he was for whatever reason, I mean, we can speculate, which is what I want to do, he was on this commission, uh, the Lancet commission that was tasked with I guess getting to the bottom I mean, I mean maybe this is like the nine eleven commission <laughs> essentially. So there
0: you know the NIST report. Yeah.
2: Moderate your expectations. Yeah. Yeah, right. And uh, basically what he has said and what like some people have taken uh, interest in, but not so many, and that was the subject of one of the uns uh, pieces, uh, a couple of them actually, was that it not much has been taken because um, you're supposed to take interest when international Jewish operatives have something to say about uh, a global pandemic that is heterodox to the mainstream narrative. And, yeah, I think that's true. I think there is something to take interest in there. And he said that uh, he used very squirrely, Jewy language, but the essential content of what he said was that this was probably the product of U.S. biotechnology. And that squares with part of the... Because I don't know. I, I, I suspect a good number of our listeners are probably familiar with... Uh, familiar with the untake take on the, the plague stuff that has been going around for Yeah, around he for thinks two it's the US military.
0: We, we, we,
2: yeah, well we get older every year, but basically the idea is that um the plague is real, but it uh you know Vaccines are the Jews gift to mankind, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I, I I'll just tell you what I think Uns is doing. I think he's somebody who's like, I think he, he puts on a very, like his whole thing is that he's like a kind of aggressively curious Jew who doesn't really care about like social disapproval or whatever, but he has this, you know, really unmitigated respect for institutional like he's a big uh what's who's that geneticist that got fired from the new york times uh or at least Hmm. i don't know he's a geneticist he was a journalist who wrote about uh, genetic uh findings and it was one of those uh people know who i'm talking about i think nicholas uh uh okay it's escaping me but anyways like Unz has always been very focused on like what system figures are saying, but he comes up at it a little bit differently than we would come at it because um, we are hostile to the system, and um, he is uh, uh, somebody who was probably would have preferred to have been let in a bit more than he has
0: been. Is sort of my assessment, but
2: yeah, he he, he ran for. Position. Uh, office
0: in california right Ron california
2: yeah, uh, yeah california with the with the heckin with the uh, the heckin dollarinos yeah
1: mm-hmm.
2: um what was this like the english english first <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyways uh he is Borders able to get a lot culture. of attention by <laughs> taking a heterodox <laughs> no, well basically uh,
3: actually
2: you know i mean uh, i don't know if him and michael savage would really get along or not but neither
0: here nor there probably not <laughs> to finish my point i don't think michael he, savage he, gets along with anybody yeah probably not I, I don't
2: know if michael savage really gets along with anybody yeah. <laughs> except like except it's like french poodles last time
0: i listened to that guy yeah he would just talk like, about his dog and then uh you know like the sort of captive yeah. animal that has to pay attention to him and then he he was referring yeah, to um, his, obliquely uh, to the apartment that he has now in, in san francisco out. but he He's, he's apparently of, married but he's vodka, living in an apartment loser. so fill in the blank
2: yeah or the 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 italian food that he ate at uh that restaurant in uh,
0: uh north, <laughs> north uh, Beach. North yeah or the the chocolate oh, that italian restaurant up on north his way Beach, to work
2: yeah. <laughs> that's the one that uh that's the one that the big shot uh fed people used to go to by the way like uh, like a uh, alan greenspan i think it was used to eat there he's in oh, San uh Yeah. Anyways, uh, my point, I still keep getting interrupted when I make it my own fault, but the UNS gets a lot of attention by doing the heterodox thing with respect to certain elements of the narrative, but then also takes a very orthodox position with respect to uh, big pharma, the vaccine, and also takes at face value the 6 million COVID dead uh, death toll that you see in the mainstream publications i don't want to like go deep into analyzing uns or what he's exactly up to it doesn't really matter like i don't really care but what is interesting is that this uh, jewish operative jeffrey Sachs uh is laying the groundwork for basically the uns position uh in the system that this committee like he's he's saying you know maybe yeah it was uh america did this i mean yeah it could have come out of labs in china but it was looks like american biotechnology and what's interesting about that is that jeffrey Sachs is not obviously a geneticist virologist uh biologist i mean he's an econ. he's a jewish economist who cut his teeth doing basically shock doctrine reforms in the former Eastern Bloc around the collapse of the Iron Curtain. That's right. Shock therapy. Uh, Notably in Poland. Yeah. In Russia, too. Um, Notably in Poland. Well, they failed in Russia. Um, Obviously, they failed in Russia. But those were the policies that they were attempting to implement in, you know, 93, 94 to bring Russia into the fold of the international capitalist uh, system. And what's interesting to me is, why? Like, why why is this guy, who that's what he does, like, he's, why is he laying the groundwork for a potential pivot to uh, culpability being American? I mean, and I should add to one last thing I'll say about the Unzian perspective on the, the plague stuff, is that the line that's taken by uns is that it's a... The economic warfare is really the basis of it, um, and I think that there is. Definitely I think there's some something to that. that. I think that's the most plausible thing that he says. I, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think there's just. Yeah, I think there's a lot of confirmation in that hypothesis when you see somebody like Jeffrey Sachs and you consider who he is, what he represents, uh, saying something like this. So I'm curious as to you, if you guys want to speculate about what might be going on there.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I don't I have n- necessarily have a... I'll
2: let you go first, though.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a great question. Why is Sachs the guy... Uh, we'll we'll see how much traction it gets, first of all. I mean, he just might be, you know, one of these well, guys but, that...
2: It isn't. There's the answer to that. We can answer that right away. It's not. It's being ignored largely. Ah. And a lot of people are sort of running cover and taking the fact that he used uh, Jew weasel language to be like, "Nah, he's not saying what you think he's saying." <laughs> um, I don't think that's important because I don't, I don't think he's saying it for the. He's not the guy who's able to say something like that and have it become, you know, accepted uh, opinion. That's not. I don't think that's what's going on at all. I don't. I don't think it's meant for. Mainstream consumption, or that it's meant to signal a change in the narrative overall.
0: Okay, uh, it's not. All right, he's let, not. Yeah. Let me let me give my sort of understanding of Jeffrey Sachs. So the first time I ever actually became familiar with him was uh, from the PBS documentary, "The Commanding Heights," and it was about the uh, Daniel Jurgen book, who's also the author of "The Prize," which is about oil. Uh, his sort of political economic. Uh, assessment of the 20th century. Uh, and it was, it's, it's, it's a good book and also a very good documentary that PBS put out around 2002 ish or so. So it's been, uh, 20 years. Uh, and it was profiling how capitalism was called into question during the great depression, uh, and the forces of fascism and communism were vying for uh, the alternative system. And then after the war, how capitalism sort of was doing okay until about the 70s. Uh, the 70s were a period of stagflation, similar to what's going on now in many ways. Uh, and then with the collapse of the communist world in the early 90s uh, in the late 80s, uh, capitalism sort of became much more, uh, accepted around the world, uh, with some caveats. And basically you could sort of say that, well, communism sucked. Fascism was defeated. I guess this is the best we got, even though it's not perfect. That's kind of like the conclusion. And it sort of like talks about globalism and but the threats to it with nine 11. That's where the documentary ends. Jeffrey Sachs though, was featured very prominently in maybe the second or third, uh, parts of uh, the documentary, there's three parts to it, uh, talking about the sort of revitalization of sort of free market capitalism. And he was uh, cited as the youngest professor ever at Harvard, or at least in economics, uh, to then be then called upon by, I guess, the Clinton administration to go over to Russia to help Yeltsin in economic reforms, work with uh Yegor Gaidar, he was like the economic liberal uh, who was in charge of that uh, uh, privatization stuff back uh, in the early bad days of uh, Russian free market capitalism and gangster capitalism. Uh, So Sachs is over there advising on this uh, shock therapy, which is basically like, you need to basically just dump all the state assets and let the market decide everything. You're not going to transition. You're not going to do it carefully. You're just going to dump it. Uh, and he got some flack for that um, because of the disaster of...
2: Because you want in international Jewish criminals to be able to buy it.
0: Basically. Basically. And, of course, they don't disclose his his ethnicity or faith. Um, just they say he's like a really smart guy from Harvard. Um, but, what yeah, I, I do believe... What connections
2: to Berezovsky, et cetera? I'm, I'm not sure which what he did have because... Uh, his name does not come up, for example, in um, uh, Klebnikov's book, uh, Godfather of the Kremlin. Hmm. So I'm not, I'm not sure if he did have any specific connections, or it was simply his bosses that sent him there, et cetera. Yeah, uh, he was, I guess, relatively young at the time. I mean, that was 30 years ago. Yeah. So
0: no, he 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 was. Um, and the the next iteration of Jeffrey Sachs was in the 2000s. He made this big big push for African aid and I remember him getting um, very public criticism from this guy named William Easterly another economist who basically said look Jeffrey you want to give Africans a bunch of free stuff Um, show me the evidence that this actually promotes long-term sustainable economic development and Sachs couldn't do it Um, he basically just kept like talking very morally about it like how it's very important to like give poor people stuff Um, but it was sort of like the Marshall plan for Africa. I don't know. So he, he kept pushing that thing. Uh, and then, uh, he sort of fell away and I don't know he he was probably involved in climate change, I wouldn't be surprised, but to be honest, uh, my read on the guy is he got really lucky as a young man. Uh, I'm sure there was some skill involved, but he got fame early on. And I think his ego got very much attached to that. And when things didn't work out just uh, exactly as he wanted, he sort of kept jumping from these topics that seemed trendy. You know, Bono was pushing the whole Africa thing back then, too. Uh, he, he keeps jumping from topic to topic. And so I I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he, he does some kind of rally with uh, Greta Thunberg at some point. Who, who the hell knows? But he he just seems to be like he he kind of wants attention. I, I That's a very cynical, very basic view without actually knowing what he's been up to in a while. But I, I'm just sort of heavily speculating as to maybe what's going on here. Um, I don't know if he's really considered a wonder boy anymore because he's had not kind of a you know, a mixed record, to be honest. Um, but I guess most economists have pretty mixed records. <laughs> so I guess the, the bench is not that great to begin with. So there's my understanding of Jerry well, Sachs.
2: Economists are known for failing upwards, but... In the case of Sachs, I do know that in recent, you know, recent events that are taking place in in Eastern Europe, uh, he is taking a somewhat contrarian perspective, maybe somewhat similar to Mearsheimer and his other fellow, like you may say, like level-headed Jews. Um, I don't know. I I just I think it's interesting that someone who would have been involved with the reorganization of a state or the attempted reorganization of a state under a new economic paradigm uh, in the 90s, in the case of Russia, would be the one who is put on the, to some kind of 9-11, the, the equivalent 9-11 commission of uh, COVID and that he would come down uh, saying that the evidence suggests that there is American culpability in the creation of this. My speculation, and I I have no, I can only speculate, but, but I think that they, they are, we're in a transition. We're in a period of transition. And I do think they're ready to lay the groundwork for a sort of hard decommissioning of the American Zog apparatus. And and the plague stuff would be a very, like if if they're unable to, when they, as they're poking the bear with respect to Russia and China, if they come to the, if the international money power decides that like, this isn't going to work out well, they may just decommission the the United States apparatus, as a sort of, in case of emergency, break glass, and I think that something when they have to be replaced by what
0: the coalition of seating, the, the uh, World new Economic new Forum, new Forum new and, and power
2: and, okay. Yeah, a new Year, a new Eurasian power block that is like cooperative with the with the Zionist power. Uh, it's not Plan A because like they haven't had over a hundred years of seeding their people into the key institutions of those of the Russian and Chinese and Indian state but I do think that that's something that some of the more long-term oriented ones are considering like whether like do you really need this American thing anymore I mean because what is I mean the main purpose of America is to like go around and like kill people when they don't do what you want but when he, that doesn't work anymore well i don't know what do you what do you really need it for i mean you obviously have a lot of you have a troublesome population you're probably going to need to cull maybe with some new bioweapon or something i don't know
0: uh, yeah it's I, it's, again, it's, total spec- it's it's hard to it's hard it's to say that's
2: if that they're open to in the future that maybe they will be willing to say that oh no like america did this and they start walking back i don't know that's i just it's curious because you well know, if, if that were the case why, why wouldn't they just say america like did
0: nine 9- eleven then because that, that would piss piss you know plenty of people well, off. That
2: too. well no because the only people who care about that are americans the plague is something that people care about worldwide. Well,
0: you're right. No one right. gives a shit about 9 You're right, It's but the Middle East cares about America with regard to 9-11, what happened afterwards. But you're right, it's not as broad. You know as who else announced, do, you, do you know who else
2: announced uh, revisionist theories
0: of 9-11? Uh, Richard Spencer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm an Al Zawahiri.
0: That's funny.
2: He denounced he denounced our Iranian uh, media for promoting um, revisionist accounts of 9/11 because you know it was it was the glory of, of Al Qaeda.
0: Yeah, that makes sense <laughs> in a twisted way. <laughs>
2: again, again, dude, like, I. I'm just like, I I don't know. I'm just saying it's very curious that somebody in his position is involved with investigating the origins of this worldwide plague phenomenon, whatever you want to call it. And that he comes out saying something that is not approved, or at least, you know, on the surface, not approved. You know, nobody wants to hear that or report on that. Nobody wants to talk about it. nobody wants to get to the you know, nobody wants to even talk about the origins of this because no one cares. But. In the long term, I could see it as being something where it's like, look, like we were saying all along that is it was America that did this. America needs to. Uh, needs to take account of this. I don't just that's that's my speculation. If you have other theories, I'm happy to hear them. But Hans, I, 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 I don't know if you had any, any, any thoughts
0: would... on this. Um, and if we have time to talk about economic stuff, if you wanted.
3: I don't have as many thoughts on, on this. Although I, I found what Nick had to say very interesting. Um, I, I do, well, I will say that uh, it seems more and more likely that uh, there will be a sort of uh, uh, admittance that there was an American role in the creation and promulgation of COVID. They've already sort of prepped it with a lot of the investigations that have been very public in mainstream into the eco health Alliance into these, and I've brought this up before. There's just this strange collection of characters, you know, Dazak, Barrick, um, uh, all, just these Western, you know, mostly American, some British scientists who were involved with the lab. were very clearly involved with the research, uh, there's paperwork demonstrating that they were involved with this very kind of research. So, uh, I think that, you know, you could see a fall guy or a couple of fall guys get pinpointed and yeah, you know, we had some involvement with it and, um, but it's over now and they're going to have to wrap it up. they are going to have to give people some kind of closure to the whole thing, probably within the next year, and it'll just be you know well look uh, the chinese um are chiefly responsible but there were americans working at the lab and we've you know we'll turn them over to law enforcement and this i can imagine people like that will be fall guys for this operation i don't know what ex- exactly they, what what it was they were attempting to do um it's very possible that the chinese uh, made a very uh, strategic or a very large strategic mistake in entrusting Americans to go to these labs and work there. They probably thought, in typical Chinese fashion, you know, we're well. We'll just watch what they do and we'll steal it. You know what? Like we'll we'll figure out how they do what they do and we'll make it our knowledge, and then we won't need them anymore. But they let these people in, and then they use this lab to conduct potentially very dangerous research, um, and then unleash it on everybody. So now the Chinese are, you know, basically sitting there holding the smoking gun. <laughs> and uh, was it made in a lab? One hundred percent. Was it made in their lab? Probably very likely. Did they were they intimately involved with it? Maybe, maybe they were dumb enough to allow American scientists with questionable backgrounds to, uh, to work in their labs. So I'm sure that there will be some strange sort of admittance and then they'll tie the whole thing up in a nice bow and it'll kind of play into the sort of ongoing, um, and very fake anti-China talk. So I, I don't, I don't expect it to go in, in any sort of insane direction, but I think it'll go in the direction that Nick is sort of hinting at, which is where they'll just sort of placidly admit that, yeah, there was American involvement here. Um, and that, uh, that's just what it is. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even think that a lot of Americans will get that upset about it anymore. You know, I don't, I don't even think that many people will understand the, the dynamics of it and they'll, uh, they'll want to look into it further. So it's probably sort of a moot point whether or not they end up just admitting, uh, their involvement or not.
0: So I know we've, we've been talking about the political a lot. Um, and a little bit of uh, some economic uh, factors at play. Um, Hans Hans had to uh, get ready for tomorrow, but uh, I was just going to bring up the fact that there's uh, there's a increasing likelihood that we might be heading into a recession um, economically in the United States and around the world and uh just what uh what implications that might have going forward um it's not like recessions haven't been around before i'm not i'm not terrified uh despite what some of the headlines may say that this is going to be worse than 2008
2: the old sad joke it's like uh recession is when your neighbor can't pay his bills and a depression is when you can't pay
0: yours is that, is that how that goes? yeah there's variations in that joke one is um, a recession is when uh, the reporter is like talking about job losses at the factory and a depression is when he gets laid off I mean there, there's a million like versions of it but basically yeah it's like does it affect you? or not um i mean everything's interconnected it's just to what degree and it it's, it's hard to generalize because everybody has a different situation but you know if you want to categorize things uh i suppose the people that are typically hurt the most in recessions are in the cyclical industries which are construction manufacturing, uh, heavy goods, uh, manufacturers in particular, anything that has a large capital expenditure, people start getting hesitant to, uh, to make investments and in bets, long-term bets, essentially. Uh, also, um, I guess on the opposite side, you have, uh, you have more stable things like consumer staples, you know, food is not going to, you know, be cut well, from the budget for on obvious some reasons. good
2: news, Adam. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing a racist podcast is basically recession proof because <laughs> it doesn't pay anything in.
0: Uh, it it's uh recession proof in the United States because this country seems to continue to get worse. Um if things actually turned around. We might be out of a out of a gig on this one, but I don't forecast that anytime soon. Um, um and I don't think correlation is causation. By the way, but maybe if we gave it up, uh, the country would magically fix itself. What do you think? Maybe we're the cause. Because I, I do remember like joining the show, and, yeah, was, and like things were like, "It's our fault." Things were bad, and then we're like, "Oh." Trump, interesting, and then it, it just like nothing got better, and then it kept getting more annoying, and then COVID. And yeah,
2: then... no, every, everything <laughs> has like exponentially deteriorated since we started doing this. Like we we never set out to even cover. Like, we do these occasionally where we talk about what's going on in the world or whatever, and even this uh, post that we're doing now. I mean, we talked a lot about sort of Cold War history and stuff, but uh, it's it's deteriorate and everyone knows it too. I mean, like everyone I know knows it. It's just, it's palpable. I mean, you, you can fucking watch it happen.
0: People's lives are getting worse. Yeah. Um, and, and not, not to like be just like the perm, perma bears in the, uh, the sort of wall street analogy sense that everything has to be bad. It's just, we're, I think we're, we're calling it like we see it. Um, there is a school of thought, and I, I'm actually not against it, that is one that says in order to uh, bring about good times, there is a need for a sense of optimism to give people hope and give people the motivation to, to try. And I think there's there's a lot of wisdom in that. Um, and I think in certain areas, you know, we, we can be hopeful for, I guess, some things. Uh, but I also do think it's dangerous to be naively and cowardly optimistic. Um, because I think it's, it's like, if you have a problem, you got to fix it. And, you know, if you're, uh, if your boat's leaking, you can't like sing a song. You got to find something to plug the hole. That's at least how my brain works. So anyway, we're we're sort of generalizing about philosophy. Here Actually, moment, but...
2: I have a quote on the website.
0: I know you do. Yeah, that reads, um, <laughs> it reads, "If yeah, it's Go, it, it's it,
2: If pessimism it. is despair, optimism is cowardice and stupidity."
0: <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it's it's often the case, um, but the way it's framed, yeah, well, is, what
2: it's, that means is that yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you want to interpret the facts around you. Mm -hmm. The facts around you are the facts around you. Correct. You You know, you can put these, you know, subjective feelings on them and you can say that, you know, one is uh, you're despairing and the other is you're being naive. It, It doesn't matter. You have to deal with the facts you're confronted with. And facts we're confronted with are dissolution increasing deterioration of material conditions uh, oppression a total absolute lack of any kind of political participation in the direction that this machine is going in i mean that's been the case for a long time we've been shut out forever but really i mean it's the material. I mean, the economic question is the one worth talking about insofar as that's the one that, I mean, if you look at the increasing polarization, radicalization of the average American worker, uh, those aren't being driven by the types of imperial shenanigans that have been taking place, you know, for the past, well, really for the past century, but... I mean, we can talk about the intricacies of CIA operations and imperial wars and stuff. And those things do have an effect on the domestic life. But what people are noticing are, I mean, the culture war gets boosted a lot. People are upset about uh, the homosexuals and the, the perverting of children and all these kinds of things. They're upset about crime. And, you know, you can harp on these beats, and that's fine because you know people are responding to that and people are getting angry and there is increasing polarization but the thing that affects everyone regardless of your perspective even even if you have one foot in the system is the deteriorating economic situation
0: Uh, it's it's the price of eggs i mean it's it's literally what that documentary i cited uh, was talking about uh, in the shock therapy, it's like, you know, watch the price of eggs. And if the price of eggs go down, we know that shock therapy is working in Russia and the price of eggs apparently did go down. Well, the price of eggs at my local supermarket have been going up. So I guess we're, uh, we're doing it wrong. I, I don't know. But, uh, I think yeah, as, you ever
2: see, you ever see clerks?
0: No, no. I'm familiar though with uh, the, the general idea. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, there's a guy who comes into the to the quick, essentially the quickie mart, and when he buys eggs, he like goes through and individually inspects each egg in
0: the (laughs) cart. Great. (laughs) Did they all pass?
2: Well, if they don't, I mean, you can assemble your perfect
0: carton, I guess. (laughs) That's true. From the other cartons, until you get thrown out. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was gonna make a a connection though, Um, so you know, you mentioned the culture war, the, the last, well, sort of, if you, if you watch the financial press, they're, they're basically just going to keep it about the you know GDP stuff and, and banking and all that crap. Uh, but if you, if you do listen to them, they, they draw comparisons, or at least the short sellers or, typically the ones to be slightly hyperbolic, but even the ones that are a little bit less hyperbolic and more even keel, like Ray Dalio from I think Bridgewater is his firm. Um, he says, we have the potential to be in a situation where we're facing a financial crisis bigger than 2008. And what was interesting about that crisis was it ushered in the era of Obama uh, sort of taking over from the Bush reign where, the reign of terror or the war of terror as Borat would say Uh, and sort of was this like new hope and change sort of mask on really just the continuation of the same thing. But it was, it was sort of couched in a guy with a Muslim name and, and dark skin. And um, it uh, it was interesting because as the sort of banking system was being bailed out, there was this funny thing called Occupy wall street, which popped up and it was seemingly pretty grassroots organic, uh, protest against sort of crony capitalism. Um, the the relationship between the banks and the U S federal government and the federal reserve and the white house. And it was, um, apparently it was drawing some connections between the, uh, the Jewish question and, and the banking sector. And it was around that time and probably just generally because it was poking holes at the sort of financial capital of the United States, that uh, it was it was quietly and somewhat cleverly uh, broken up, and the narrative was shifted onto identity politics, uh, into the the sort of race stuff, the Michael Browns, Ferguson, um, you know, we're a racist nation, we need to atone. Uh, as many have argued was sort of a, a distraction and a diversion from the really measurable and objective, uh, financial shenanigans going on in the United States. And that culture war really took media precedence ever since. And we've sort of wound up with this like wokeism stuff, um, that I think continues to this day and it continues to be useful because, as the economic, uh, conditions of the average American deteriorate with small businesses being shut down and, uh, COVID sanctions, putting restrictions on people's mobility and causing supply chain problems and price inflation and all this crap. Um, the, the media needs a distraction. And so, you know, what is it going to be next? Uh, who knows? But I think that that tactic was arguably, um, pretty well documented as something. I mean, the New York times admitted that Obama's campaign basically said we need to abandon the white working class or the working class, at least narrative of the traditional democratic platform and focus more on identity politics around that time, around the 2012 election. Um, so that that's been admitted. Um, you know, you could speculate as to why, I but, mean,
2: well, give you my take on this
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go ahead.
2: so i uh yes and no like on the one hand um the the culture and the race war is is everything however it was lost and it was lost a long time ago so the reason that they're comfortable pivoting to it is because it's a it's a it's an already won struggle there is no struggle. It's the appearance of a struggle. It's the appearance of a of a conflict. Uh, if if it was the case that there were stakes on 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 the line that that could be won, they would never pivot to that. They would never allow that. If that because when you consider in the context of Marxism in the twentieth century, like Marxism uh, and the old left were they did the exact opposite. Uh, they eschewed race to a large extent in favor of a class struggle uh, against i mean there were elements i mean that that changed in the late 60s and early 70s with Mm -hmm. the rise of the new left right Uh, but if it was if the culture war was something that could be fought and won Ah, uh, they wouldn't want to they wouldn't want to do it, but they're confident that the people on either sides of the polarity are sufficiently controlled by uh, Jewish money power that there's nothing to worry about. And the extent to which we could find common ground maybe with other people against the oligarchy uh, is definitely a much more pressing concern. Because it doesn't have to be a political alliance in the conventional sense, like "nah, we we can all be a nation together" or whatever. We can all just agree. Like, I mean, if you ask any American, like, about what they think about the one percent, uh, whatever they understand that to mean, um, everyone's gonna say "fuck those people." So yeah, they're going to they're going to want. Polarity and division over this, and so on. The one hand, we can look at the increasing polarity, uh, with some level of optimism, provided that you like associate with the sort of a right-wing perspective, which I I don't necessarily. Uh, I get end up by circumstance and <laughs> life choices. <laughs> yeah, I do, but uh, from a broader perspective, I don't. Uh, but that being said, it's like, no, that they, you're right. I mean, and this is, you, you see that analysis from sort of uh, independent types that aren't especially partisan, don't have a big dog in the fight, they're mm. not especially racist or anti-racist. Right, right. They're sort of moderate on the the culture questions, and they, they want to focus on what's being done on the economic front, and they're right to do so in a lot of respects. I mean, like, I, I think that that's a that's a correct analysis i mean the system is dumping a lot of effort into the the culture comp uh, but i just wanted to clarify that they would not be doing this if that was a battle that could be won or that well, they were i think
0: th- i think you're right that it is more of a sort of a continuation and a victory lap perhaps um I I just view it again as, as just a way to sort of fill people's heads up with nonsense. So they don't have any time to really focus on other things. And um, again, it's like literally the price of eggs. I mean, you know what, what more fundamental food stuff. Well,
2: this is, this is the basis of of multiracial capitalism in the first place, though. This is the whole, the whole mechanism of the Imperial project. I mean, you create a situation in which the people who you're ruling over and oppressing with uh, finance capitalism and debt, uh, you, that they don't have enough common ground with each amongst each other to be able to resist you effectively. That's the re that's like all the other reasons for like multiracialism and immigration and stuff yeah. are ancillary to that one thing. The, I mean this is the lesson they, they learned from Germany in the nineteen thirties. It's like when you have a strong sense of nation and community and folk, if 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 that's what you're we're dealing with. And it's the same problem that they have in places like Iran and North Korea. There's enough sense of, of nation and identity that you can't, you know, wedge in there. I mean that this is always what they want everywhere. That's that's the, the underlying reason. For the multiracial project, is they want to create rootless consumer debt slaves that aren't capable of doing the only thing that you could possibly do to deal with these fucking people, which is to unify and organize against them.
0: Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of truth to that. Um, yeah, the offside,d uh, I guess leak from Amazon where they wanted a multiracial workforce to limit the likelihood of unionization yeah Yeah, i think that's evidence for that sort of thinking for sure
2: well in unions prior um in the early century prior to like 68 and even before then um, american unions were not only were they racist they were actually largely nordicist
0: I didn't Canadian know that part. <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, I, yeah, I, I no, can no, certainly I mean, like, see the racist like a, aspect like, with like the resistance to coolies, you know, well, Chinese labor. It wasn't
2: labor and stuff that like they that. were. It, it wasn't that they were ideological. Well, okay. <laughs> Before I say it too much, it's it's uh, that there was. I mean, like Italians represented scab labor to American to the American worker. And it yeah, wasn't so yeah. much like pure racial animus against the Italian. I mean, when you get to the Southern Italian, you know, I mean, okay. Like now we're, we, you know, <laughs> you know,
0: you know, but I just well, there, there's, know a there's a joke. There's oh. a joke about Italy that, um, that, the like, okay, here's, here's Italy's map of Europe and it shows, you know, land of the snow people, uh, Europe, uh, Italy and then Africa. And Africa starts at like you know ha- the halfway point of Italy <laughs> like going down. <laughs> and so yeah. It's not that quite, you know. Well, re- there, in reality, a, but that I, mean, I made the old it's, it's the old uh,
2: English joke many, yeah. many times on the program that the niggers begin to clay. But we we don't need to rehash all of that. But my my point is just like you know, the uh, American labor movement was subverted on many, many levels. Uh, and unfortunately, like even Europeans were used partly to subvert that because capitalists
0: wanted cheap labor and they were
2: happy oh. to take it from the poorer parts of Europe.
0: Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, immigration has had a pattern of uh, diluting the the labor's share of uh, the income well, stream and power. bargaining power. is
2: that. Every plumber in England is a pole. Well,
0: it's not even a joke. I mean, it's, it's about right. Um,
2: no, it's not even a joke. It's yeah, it's just accurate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I mean, you know, if we get into a recession, what,
2: what do you see, Adam? What? Go what, ahead. What, what? Yeah. What it was? What is a? what are we dealing with here
0: what is, like, well okay it, what a lot a of this a, a lot of that this is, is i think
2: you fudge this all the time
0: i think a lot of this is by design and and not necessarily in in my opinion uh, incorrectly because we have uh objectively an inflation problem in this country we really do um, official reports will put it at you know 8% unofficially, it depends on what you buy, obviously, because, you know, if you don't buy certain things, it's not whether price goes up or down, it doesn't matter. But, uh, but unofficially shadow stats, et cetera, you know, the inflation arguably is more, uh, maybe above 10%, maybe even higher. Um, so what that means to the average person, unless you're in asset classes that appreciate along with inflation or if you're in a business that is able to raise prices to their customers, uh, it, it means that you're getting taxed uh, and your savings are getting basically stolen from you at a rate of 10% a year. And that's, that's a big deal. Uh, obviously, the price of energy and transportation has gone up um, and you can attribute that to various things. But you know, broad-based, inflation is everywhere and people can see it in price of food, price of uh, services, clothing, whatever. Uh, so, what the Fed is doing is because they dropped rates during COVID to stimulate the economy and arguably caused some of the inflation, although they'll try to blame it on people staying home from work and labor price inflation, etc., cetera, uh, or supply chain issues, um, whatever. They, they don't seem to want to accept too much of the responsibility. But regardless, you can't print.
2: Man, man I've been
0: waiting. For- to see the results of that labor price inflation (laughs) still uh still waiting for those well i have been seeing a lot of uh we pay 15 15 and up uh signs going up all over the the sort of big box stores and things like that and i do remember not that long ago that i will say the fight for 15 was like a thing uh maybe four or five years ago but so that that has that has changed that 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 is uh, shown a market increase. Dude, go, go ahead.
2: The, yeah. I will. I, well, hopefully, I'm not. I don't say too much. But the Taco Bell, my nearest Taco Bell,
0: <laughs> they're offering starting wages at sixteen dollars an hour. Oh my gosh! You could work and, and do podcasting.
1: With, with, like, ho-
2: hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, uh, wow, dude. I know. <laughs> Yeah, the dream, the dreams arrived. Yeah, I could. I I guess you would. I'd be able like eat tacos. And and you can take leftovers home, right? Yeah.
0: Um, Take day old tacos. How
2: long would I survive doing that? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it's incredible. I'm not like. It's just like constantly, just like they keep putting up
0: new signs for like we're hiring. I haven't been to Taco Bell in years. Um, I do like their um, their sauce packs, though. Their, their sauce packets. I like the orange one. Um, this is from years ago. I don't even know if they do that anymore. The,
2: um, orange, the, orange, the orange one is the worst one.
0: <laughs> well, opinions may vary, but... Uh, um i like them i, I like them nonetheless um anyway i was just going to say that the the recession is probably going to be partly due to the the fed's interest rate policy which has been increased the, the latest increase was a 75 basis point increase which is um 3 quarters of a percent and uh they said that they considered doing more, but they didn't want to because they were worried about hurting the economy and then the stock market rallied. So you sort of see the dance they're in. I mean, the, the dual mandate of the United States Federal Reserve is is basically that they want to keep employment uh, or unemployment low, which officially it is, and inflation low, which it isn't. So they're failing on one side and arguably they they have a basically one lever, which is monetary policy. And so,
2: well, the, the dual dance is that they need to keep the oligarchs continuing to make vast sums of money while maintaining a semblance of political stability. Oh, uh, sure. That's the actual
0: dance. Oh, sure. And, and part of the way the, the sort of financial elite make money and this gets into quasi conspiracy territory because it's a little bit hard to prove. Although if we do a nine 11 follow-up next month, um, there are some financial aspects to that event that I think are actually pretty damning. Uh, and I th- I think there is a lot of collusion. There no, was no question about it in the financial sector with governments and big banks, et cetera. But, uh, the, the main allegation is that the recessions uh, are occasionally manufactured in order to reduce asset prices in places like the stock market or real estate. I mean, you could take a look at what happened to COVID, for example, with BlackRock buying up all the single-family homes. That That's well, a good example of that, is, but also the stock market. And could, that's why I that
2: mentioned or, uh, why I took such interest in Jeffrey Sachs's presence in this whole game because that's the game that they were playing in Russia. So you have this guy, I mean, cut his teeth trying to do that in Russia and now is involved in the uh you know what it was the thing the the the, the fox in the hen house whatever whatever that the fucking farmhouse analogy is like the the 9/11 covid report. Like you have this guy who was involved in the liberalization of Russia uh, poking around in the origins and trying to establish the narrative for the system on the plague because that's that is exactly what happened it's a lot of money got moved around and a lot of people bought up shit for pennies
0: yeah and I know it's sort of um, maybe considered uh in in sensitive advice um but in the absence of anything that one can do otherwise um if you do have savings uh hold on to it you know put your not necessarily all your money into cash cuz it it is um affected negatively by inflation obviously but there's a few small things you know the little guy can do uh, I wouldn't necessarily again buy a bunch of Bitcoin, but it is historically at an um, at an ebb, and so you might want to pick up a little bit of it just just in case. It's sort of a, a gamble because uh, it, it does rally once in a while. And uh, you know, don't don't buy a house, but you know, when the economy goes into <laughs> recession, then they start slashing rates like they did during COVID. You know, uh, maybe then it's time to consider maybe saving up for a down payment and and getting the loan. Um, and I know, you know debt is not necessarily considered great in our circles. But as I talked about, uh, even, even with interest rates uh, for mortgages around 6% now, that's still below inflation. And so if you can get something, if, if things go down again, around 3% or 4% even, um, it's, it's not a bad deal. I mean, the, the housing sector is, is heavily subsidized and, and the banks set it up that way, by the way. Um, so they make their money, but also it, it is a vehicle for, Preserving wealth, at least if not growing it exponentially, you're not going to get you're not going to get wealthy from one house, um, but it is relatively uh, immune to inflation because people got to live somewhere. I wouldn't buy commercial real estate, um, you know, for obvious reasons with you know work from home. But I think uh, housing is still a reasonably safe place to put your savings if you can. But if you can't, I mean, shit, you know, just invest in your skills, uh, invest in your network, um, invest in your your friends and family and yourself and, and your spirit and, and your education. And what else can you do? I mean, that's that's all we can do. Um, but uh, these things happen. I oh, mean, brass.
2: Yeah. Invest in brass.
0: <laughs> invest in brass. Hey, where, where's where's the uh, the price of that lately? Um, I, I know we had like a happening, didn't we? Like not too long ago, but it sort of got, it fell out of, uh, it's okay. The media's yeah, head. It's, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Be- Is it okay? People know. People, yeah. People know. Yeah. yeah. Well, Japan it's didn't okay. have any, yeah. didn't have any guns and they still couldn't stop it. So you made that joke, it's- Nick, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> hey, nature finds a way as, uh, Ian Malcolm said, right?
2: Yeah, nature finds a way,
1: man. Yeah, that's right. When I start to joking Gets me to thinking How it will be when my people get free And the war it is won